Thank you, team. Appreciate y'all leading us in worship today, and uh, glad to be with you. I am not Pastor Jared, uh, but I am glad to be here. Of course, we want to be in prayer for them as they are enjoying some time as a family together. Pray for them for uh, safe travel. They'd come back to us and uh, be rested and refreshed. We are going to be looking at Acts, uh, continuing through Acts this morning. We will be in Acts chapter 11. We'll pick up in verse 19, and we're going to finish out the chapter. Uh, we'll get all the way through verse 30 there. This morning, we're going to be talking about a church in motion, a church in motion, three activities of the early church. But first, I want to talk about old cars. Anybody like old cars? I, I, I got corrected after the first service and trucks, okay? So for all, for all you truck lovers, we'll throw the trucks in there too. Old, old vehicles, we'll say. I, I, I love an old vehicle. And part of it, when, uh, when I turned 16, um, I thought I was going to have this old uh, Jeep Wrangler, which would have been a lot of fun. Um, but I, I ended up uh, having an opportunity to get a 1971 Chevelle for my first car. Uh, so that was probably a little too much car for a uh, young, irresponsible person like I was. Uh, but I think it solidified my, my love for, for old classic cars uh, such as that. And uh, YouTube is a cool place if you, if you like old cars. There's lots of different things. You can watch them restore them, and you can watch them drag race them, and you can see car shows and car collections and all that. And uh, there's one particular channel that, that I, I like to watch, and this guy has just got uh, a massive car collection. And there's some pictures of uh, some of the cars. And, uh, but, but what's interesting about this particular car collector uh, is that uh, unlike a lot of, of car guys, you know, they spend all this time and they spend all this money restoring these, these cars and they, they have to source parts from sometimes all over the country, all over the world to, to put them back to like they were new. And, and then they, they, they just roll them up on a trailer, right? And they, they drive to a car show, they roll it off the trailer, they, they, they don't let anybody touch it, right? And kind of polish it a little bit maybe. Then they, they roll it back on the trailer. They take it back to the, the, the storage building, right? And they put it up until the next show. You know, but, but the, the, the part about that that's, that's tough is that that's not what it was meant for, right? That's, that's not what it was designed for. That wasn't the original purpose for, for any of those vehicles, right? They were meant to be driven. They were meant to be enjoyed. They were meant to be on the road. They were meant to go. And uh, this particular car collector uh, he, he's all about that. He said, there's no point in owning these cars if you're not going to drive them at least once in a while. And so he's got cars that are even worth like a million dollars, Lamborghinis and Ferraris and all this kind of stuff. He's got Dodge and Plymouth and Chrysler and Ford and Chevy and all those other two, but he drives all of them. He puts miles on all of them. He, he's not impressed by, oh, you know, I've only got 400 miles on this, you know, this particular Lamborghini. He's like, well, you know, I got 40,000 miles on mine. And he's proud of that because that's what those things were meant to do. And I bring that up because we're talking about a church in motion today. And just like cars, they can become kind of, kind of frozen sometimes. They, they can become, uh, you know, you get them all pristine, we get them all perfect, all exactly like we want them to be, and then we just want to hold on to that, right? We just want to keep everything exactly like it is, we show it off every once in a while, right? Is something that we're proud of, but we don't, we don't want anything to happen to it. We get, we get nervous about that. But just like those cars, a church is not something that's supposed to stay still. A church is something that is supposed to be active, 
The church is something that is supposed to be in motion. And up to this point in Acts, that's exactly what we have seen in these early believers, right? They, they haven't been sitting still. In fact, they're going all over the place. They are extremely active. They're filling out that Acts 1.8, uh, what Jesus said, that they were going to go out, Judea, Samaria, even to the ends of the earth, and that the Holy Spirit would be with them, that Christ would be with them to the very end of the age. And they're going, they're doing that. They are a church in motion. When we come to Scripture, there's times that we find a, a passage uh, and, and it is uh, descriptive, right? It just it tells us what's going on. It's relating to us the, the historical events of what actually occurred uh, back in that time. But we also have to realize that, especially when we're in a book like Acts, the history, uh, even in the Old Testament, those history books, is that at times it's not just a, a, a description, but it's, it's even a prescription. That, that God, through the Holy Spirit and through these men, are not just laying out what happened, but it, they're laying out an example, a pattern for us, that we might see it and that we might walk in that way. And I believe as we come to this passage today, we're finding a, a prescription for what a church in motion is supposed to look like, a pattern for us to consider. We're going to see in our passage today that the early church was active in preaching, they were active in partnering and planting new churches, and they were acting active in providing for the needs around us. I believe that God has a plan. Would you agree with that? Amen? God has a plan. And as part of that plan, he chooses, sometimes I think for some strange reason, he chooses to use us in part of that plan. Now God, God could accomplish his will in any way that he chooses to do so. But he chooses to use weak people. He chooses to use incomplete people. He chooses to use people who have uh, slip-ups, who have failings, who have problems. God, God chooses to use people like me, people like us, to accomplish this mission, to accomplish this plan, to accomplish his will. Uh, God's not looking for superheroes. He's looking for obedient people. Amen? God wants to use us. God chooses to use us. And in using, uh, one of my uh, seminary professors would say, God can use crooked sticks to hit straight licks, okay? God wants to use people like us to accomplish his will. And through that, he gets the glory. God has a plan. He chooses to use us as part of that mission. And his mission is the gospel to the whole world. The gospel to every man, every woman, Every child, every race, every ethnicity, every nation, God has a plan for the, the message of the gospel to go forward to the ends of the earth, the whole world. So, so where do we fit in in that, right? How do we fit in as this church here in Olive Branch, Mississippi? I believe when we understand what this passage says and apply it to our life, to our church, that when we're like a church, like the one we see in our passage today, that we get to see God work in powerful ways. We get to see his hand working in the world. We get to see the lost come to Christ. We see our community transformed into one that seeks after God. And we get to experience a joy that no circumstance, no hardship, no difficulty can take away from us. That's, that's the promise. That's the hope when we're like the church we see in our passage for today. So as we talk about three activities of the early church, I'm going to read our passage this morning and then we'll pray and we'll dive right in. I'll ask if you would stand as we honor the reading of God's word this morning, Acts chapter 11, starting in verse 19 through 
the end of the chapter. It says, Now those who were scattered because of the persecution that arose over Stephen traveled as far as Phoenicia and Cyprus and Antioch, speaking the word to no one except the Jews. But there were some of them, men of Cyprus and Cyrene, who on coming to Antioch spoke to the Hellenists also, preaching the Lord Jesus. And the hand of the Lord was with them, and a great number who believed turned to the Lord. The report of this came to the ears of the church in Jerusalem, and they sent Barnabas to Antioch. When he came and saw the grace of God, he was glad, and he exhorted them all to remain faithful to the Lord with steadfast purpose. For he was a good man, full of the Holy Spirit and of faith, and a great many people were added to the Lord. So Barnabas went to Tarsus to look for Saul, and when he had found him, he brought him to Antioch. For a whole year, they met with the church and taught a great many people. And in Antioch, the disciples were first called Christians. Now in these days, prophets came down from Jerusalem to Antioch, and one of them named Agabus stood up and foretold by the Spirit that there would be a great famine over all the world. This took place in the days of Claudius. So the disciples determined, everyone according to his ability, to send relief to the brothers living in Judea. And they did so, sending it to the elders by the hand of Barnabas and Saul. Let's pray. God, we do thank you for your word. We thank you that it is living and active and that it is sharper than a double-edged sword. And it is able to, God, divide us, to challenge us, to, uh, God, show us the places that we are weak. Places that we maybe are not obedient to you in every way that you've called us to be. God, I pray that as we come to this passage this morning, that we would have humble hearts, we would have open hearts to receive your word. God, that you would help us grow today, that we might be a light to our community. God, we thank you for this church. We thank you for the individuals that make up this church. And God, I pray that together we might accomplish the mission, the purpose that you've called us to here in Olive Branch. And we do pray these things in Jesus' name. Everybody said? Amen. Amen. You may be seated. So our first activity of the early church we see is the church was preaching. Now, uh, you know, it was a long time ago that this was written. And so even words like preaching, sometimes they have a little bit different uh, flavor to them than, than what we see uh, in the Bible. And, and preaching is one of them because, you know, as, as you think about what's going on here in the story, this, this point in, in the church's history, uh, they didn't have a place like this, right? It's a nice place that we get to come and, and gather here. We have comfortable places to sit and, and microphones and lights and all these kinds of things. And, and, you know, so when you hear the word preaching, sometimes this is what you, you picture in your mind, right? There's a person up here and, and they've, they've got a message and they do the message and, and you sit there and, and we do the thing. And, you know, we, that's what we think about with preaching. But, but really, when, when we see preaching here in the book of Acts, it probably has a lot more in common with what we would call evangelism. You know, the, the message has been given to these people, they're scattered, and they're sharing Christ just as they go. You know, they don't have a platform, they don't have a congregation, they, they're, they're not having these kinds of opportunities that, that we enjoy today. You know, the freedoms we have to, you know, put the sign out front and gather together. Uh, they don't have that. So it's just as they go along and as they meet people and as they have opportunities, they're in the market, they're, they're visiting with their neighbors, right? They're, they're preaching, they're proclaiming, if you will. Maybe that's a better a way to say that. They're proclaiming the message that they've received 
The message that's changed their life, and now they're sharing it. So when I say the church was preaching, uh, surely Barnabas got up and shared a message, right? Surely Paul got up and shared a message. Uh, But they were all proclaiming this message as they went. They were scattered because of the persecution that arose because of Stephen. And I love the story of Stephen, and I went on a little bit too long about Stephen in the first service, so I'll try to keep it short. But Stephen is just uh, such a model of, of what the love of Christ can do in a person's life. Uh, he, he is bold enough and he's brave enough to stand in front of people that he knows are not going to be receptive to this message of Jesus Christ, the Messiah, finally come to save God's people and to save the world. But he shares it anyway, right? And, and, and they, they turn on him and they stone him. But even, even as he is, is, is being stoned, he loves those people, doesn't he? The message of the gospel had so taken grip of his heart and changed his life and even the way he looked at people, that people who were literally putting him to death at the moment, he, he still, he loved them, didn't he? He loved them. Just an amazing, uh, amazing person in the Bible, Stephen. But because of what happened, right, the persecution breaks out against all the Christians as a whole, these, especially these Jewish Christians. And so they're scattered all over uh, the area, going back some of them to where where they were originally from. And, you know, we see immediately that as opposition arises, that God's at work, right? These people are going out with this this message of the gospel. Even as we acknowledge that God's at work, we, we, we can't pass over the fact that Satan is at work too, right? Satan's probably thinking that, that he's, he's won this master stroke here, right? He's, he's gotten rid of, of Stephen. Stephen's gone. Stephen can't share the gospel with anybody anymore. Now all the Christians are running scared. They're, they're running all over the place, right? I've got them isolated. I've got them scattered. They, they don't have their, their group like they did before. Uh, but but God uses that, right? Just like, uh, you know, sometimes you can cut down the weed in your yard, but if that thing's already started putting out seeds, right, th- those weeds are going to spring up all over. Now, obviously, not Christianity is not a weed, but in a good way, right? That rapid spread is happening right here in the gospel, not because just people going out, but because Satan is actively coming against the church. But God uses that. He uses that opposition as an opportunity for the gospel to spread. Because that's God's mission. That, God, that is God's plan. They travel as far as Phoenicia and Cyprus and Antioch. So this is about 300 miles there from Jerusalem that they have been scattered. And I think I've got a map for that. You can see uh, kind of the, the modern day country of Turkey. So Antioch is, is right there if you... If you see where the, the coast of the Mediterranean goes up, you can see the word Syria. It's kind of small, I know, but right above that is Antioch. There's two Antiochs. Uh, we're talking about the Antioch that is in what we would call modern-day Syria. And so uh, they've, they've traveled up here. It's probably between two to, to four weeks away, about 300 miles. And uh, just to kind of put that in, in our modern-day context, I know when I, when I look at some of these biblical maps, it, it doesn't kind of click with me. How, like, how far is that? I don't really know. It doesn't look very far. But this, this is a map, and it, it plotted out that distance in a circle around Olive Branch. And so some of the cities that would be on the perimeter of that circle— uh, Hattiesburg would be about the same distance as Antioch. Uh, Natchez in Arkansas, Texarkana or Fort Smith in Missouri, Springfield, St. Louis, Indiana, Evansville would be about this far away. Uh, Tennessee, Chattanooga, Bowling Green, Kentucky, Montgomery, Alabama. If, 
any of those places are familiar with it, you, you kind of get a feel for the distance, right? So it's quite a ways away. It's, it's exciting to think that even this early in the church, right, the gospel is already spreading hundreds of miles away. New people are getting to hear for the first time the message of Jesus Christ. God uses this as an opportunity. And what are they doing? They're speaking the word. They're speaking the word. They're sharing the message that they've received. But there's two different groups. There's one group that's only speaking the message, it says, to no one except the Jews. Now, they were sharing, right? They're preaching. It's good. But they were staying within their, their ethnic and their religious circle. You know, Pastor Jared talked last time about uh, the weed of, of prejudice, right? And so they're, they're allowing some of those things to keep them just kind of in their circle. They're only speaking to the Jews, right? They're, they're not sharing the message widely. You know, prejudice is a, is a barrier to the gospel. And we can see it even here in the early church. They're, they're wrestling with these things. Who to share with? And, you know, will, will they understand what I'm saying? And so, you know, that fear can set in and keep people from sharing. But, verse 20, there were some of them, and originally they're men from Cyprus and Cyrene, but still Jewish people who on coming to Antioch, they spoke with the Hellenists also. Now, Hellenist is kind of a, a bucket term, and it, and it really is just anybody in the ancient world that would have uh, practiced some of the features of, of Greek culture. So they would have been uh, maybe not wearing the traditional uh, clothing of, of their people group, but they, they were trying to be more widely accepted in society. But this was the kind of the, the world that they lived in, if you will. And so a Hellenist could be a Jew, but a Hellenist could also be a Gentile. And we see that word used to reference both groups in the book of Acts even before this point. So uh, what we're pointing out here is that God hadn't just saved the Jewish people, right? I don't know if anybody's Jewish in here, but right, I, I'm not a Jewish person. And so I'm very thankful that God didn't just send uh, Jesus for the Jewish people. I'm glad he sent them for Gentiles as well, because then I too can be saved. Amen? I don't, I don't know if you relate to that. But when I see Gentiles in the Bible, I think, amen. All right, good. I'm in there. Okay? So uh, Gentiles, right? God had saved not just the Jews, but this was the Savior for the whole world, the Gentiles also. And so even these Greek-speaking Jews, right, they had heard the message. They'd been scattered. They were originally from Cyprus and Cyrene, but they were sharing with everyone. They were sharing with everyone, Jews and Gentiles as well. And the content of their message, I love it, very simple, preaching the Lord Jesus. I love it. Preaching Jesus as Lord, right? The, the context of their message, the whole point is that Jesus is the, to the, the Jews, he's the Messiah that has come. To the Greeks, he is the Lord over all. And for a, for a Greek person, right, they, didn't, they wouldn't have this Messiah thing going on, but they knew that that word Lord, it would, it would remind them of like the Caesar, the emperor, right? That, that had proclaimed themselves the Lord over all, but their message was Jesus is Lord. Not Caesar, but Jesus is Lord. And indeed, the gospel as their focus, that all of us have, have sinned, all of us have broken God's laws, but because God loves us, he made a way, he sent his son Jesus, that he might take the consequences for our sin. Not that he had done anything wrong, for indeed Jesus was without sin. But because of that, he was able to bear the sins of the world, to sacrifice himself on the cross, to pay the price for our sin, that we could be forgiven, free, and be part of God's family, and indeed have this message 
that then we can go forth and proclaim. And that's exactly what they were doing. And I love what it says in verse 21, and the hand of the Lord was with them. And that sound good? The hand of the Lord was with them, right? And, and that, that phrase would have, would have meant power, right? The hand of the Lord, God moving and working in their lives and their obedience to him. The power, the authority of God. They were speaking this message with authority. They had received it, and now they were sharing it. God blesses their obedience. And the church, the big C church, right? This isn't a, uh, you know, like multi-site thing, right? God, God is growing his big C church, the, the kingdom of God. God is growing the kingdom through their obedience. A great number believed and turned to the Lord. So we see the church was preaching. And we can take from this first that hardship is an opportunity, right? Hardship is often an opportunity that God uses to share. I, I love the, the testimony that, that Kaylee had, right? She was going through something, a hardship in her life, and, and God used it in a great way that she could relate with another person. And that as they were going out and doing that mission project, God had, as Pastor Charlie said, that divine appointment. Hardships are often opportunities in our life. They create opportunities, places where we can connect with people. And through that connection, we can share the good news of Jesus Christ with others. I love the phrase, bloom where you're planted, right? Sometimes we find ourselves in hard places, dry places, lonely places, but sometimes those are exactly the places God uses to grow us, to lead us, to strengthen our faith, and then use that opportunity to share, to relate with other people in similar places. But often hardship keeps us, right? It holds us back. We, we, we turn our focus on ourselves. And so a good question to ask as we think about this church and how hardship was an opportunity, what are the things that keep us from sharing? What are the things that, that make us say, ah, oh, I, I probably could have invited that person to church or pro I probably could have shared a little bit more than I did, but I'm just tired today or I just got a lot going on. I, I just, I don't have time. I got I to gotta keep going. You know, there's a lot of uh, excuses that we make sometimes when the opportunity comes. So is hardship an opportunity for you or are there things that, that keep you from speaking the gospel? We also can see as the church was preaching that they, yes, evangelized their circle, right? But they also shared outside their circle. So, so what would our circle be? Co-workers would be a, a part of our circle, right? Family members would be part of our circle. Maybe your immediate neighbors. But, but what about those people outside of our comfort zone, right? What about the person in the grocery store? What about the, the, the cashier if you go into the gas station to get, get you a candy bar, right? Uh, what are those people that it, it maybe feels awkward or it feels scary maybe to, to, to open up and to share or, or just even invite them uh, to a special event or a service that we're having? You know, they, they were going out and they were proclaiming. You know, I, I said all that about preaching because sometimes we, we get the, the wrong-headed idea that preacher's going to preach. Right. And, and we, we all just get to come to church. Usually, I mean, I'm up here today, but, you know, usually I just get to come to church. Preacher's going to preach. Right. That's that's his job. Right. His pre preacher's going to preach. But really, the, the 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 mission has been given to all of us to proclaim the message of Jesus Christ, to share the gospel. It's not just for the preacher. Right. It's not just for the preacher to preach, but it's for all of us to do that. And so I, I thought about uh, how, how it affects, and sometimes we try to, to keep to ourselves. I thought about if you live in a subdivision, right, 
Sometimes your, your neighbor, they go on vacation, they're out of town, the weeds start growing up in the yard maybe, and, and what starts happening to those weeds, right? The, the weeds don't know where the property line is, do they? Right? Those weeds just kind of start coming over in the yard next to you, right? It, it, it affects us, right? And so when, when, when we have this message of transformation, life transformation that is the gospel, right? We can have that effect on the people around us. And, you know, it's, it's easy to complain about the neighbor's grass, right? You're going to complain about the neighbor's grass, but, but what are we going to do about it, right? Maybe, maybe cut your grass sometime. Yeah, I heard somebody back there, right? Maybe you can show, show them some love and cut their grass, right? You can go outside your comfort zone, sharing the message of Christ and making a real impact on the people around you. Uh, who does God want you to share with? Maybe even now God would put on your heart somebody that you know you've had chances and you've, you've let them pass by. You know that that conversation almost went there and you, you almost invited them to church, but then you didn't. Maybe there's somebody you're thinking about right now God wants you to share with. As the church was preaching, we also see that they were looking for God to work. The hand of the Lord was with them. A great number turned to the Lord. They believed. We should be looking, expecting God to work. His hand was with them. Uh, I, I love looking for four-leaf clovers. I've found quite a few. Uh, but there's actually a lady in Wisconsin who holds the Guinness Book World Records of most four-leaf clovers found in a single hour. She found 451 four-leaf clover in a single hour. She also, also holds the eight-hour record, 887 four-leaf clover in an eight-hour period. And what that makes me realize is the reason that people don't find more four-leaf clovers is because we're not out there looking, all right? Right? The reason sometimes we feel like we don't, we don't see God working or we don't, we, don't, we don't know, you know, it's like, you know, is God with us? Is God helping us? Is God there? Sometimes we're just not looking for what God is doing. We go through our lives. We're focused on whatever we've got right in front of us. And sometimes we've got those blinders on. We don't, we don't have... Uh, our radar turned on. We don't have our eyes open, our ears open to see how God is working. But we know God's at work in the world. Amen? Do you believe that? Do you believe God is still working? He's active. He's, he's working in people's hearts. He's working through circumstances. He's working through perfect strangers. He's working through family and friends. Do you believe God is at work in the world? We've got to look for it. We've got to be paying attention. We've got to be expecting. When is the last time? You took a step of faith. You did something you knew God wanted you to do, something that was for his kingdom, his mission, his glory, and then expected him to come through, expected him to work. Sometimes we don't see him working because we're not partnering along with him, doing what he's called us to do. So the church was preaching. Secondly, we see in this passage, the church was partnering and planting. So the report of everything that's going on, great things are happening, right? A great many people are being added to the Lord. It, the, 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 the news of this comes back to Jerusalem and they're like, oh, wow, you know, man, this persecution thing, everything seems bad, but now we're hearing this great move of God up in Antioch. 
Antioch was a huge city. Uh, it was right up there with Rome and some of the other great cities uh, of the time. So it's a, a massive metropolitan area. And so they send Barnabas to Antioch. They wanted someone that they knew, someone that they trusted to go and check out this work that God was doing. And when Barnabas comes, what does he see? He sees the grace of God. Remember it's that the hand of the Lord was with them and, and, and Barnabas can see it clearly what God is doing. God is working through the obedience of the people. And we, we see that because what does he do? He exhorts them to remain faithful. So as he comes, he sees that they are being faithful to the mission that God has given them. And so his exhortation, his encouragement is keep on keeping on, right? Be steadfast in your purpose, this plan, this mission that God has given you. Of course, Barnabas, his name, it's a nickname. His, his actual given name is Joseph. He was from Cyprus as well. So he's probably, you know, up there with some of his his site. Uh, I don't know what a, a Cyprian, Cyprian, I should have wrote that down. All right, people from Cyprus. There we go. Uh, the other people that are doing the work there, he's up there with them. He is a Jew. He's a Levite. And so uh, his name, Luke tells us, means son of encouragement. That's his nickname. And that's exactly what he does as he comes to check out the work God is doing. He immediately begins encouraging them. And he sees this such this great work that what, what does he do immediately? He's got to go and he's got to get Paul, right? He's got to go get Paul and get, bring Paul and help these people, help them to do what God is already in them, through them, doing. He's a good man. He's full of the Holy Spirit and faith. And then I love this repeated idea here. And a great many people were added to the Lord. So the Jerusalem church, they send out Barnabas. He shows up. He sees God working. He starts helping with, with leadership and encouragement, helping them to continue in the work that God has done. And then he goes and he goes to get Saul. And through all of this, God is just continuing to bless and to move and to work. And they're seeing it and they're encouraged. And it's an exciting time. So he goes and he gets uh, Saul, Paul, and he comes, he brings him back, and for a whole year, they teach, and they work, and they encourage them, and they teach a great many people, and that's where the disciples, people who were following Christ, were first called what? Christians. Yeah, it's where they're first called Christians. So this is just an amazing work that God is doing. And it's not unlike what we see uh, in our, our Southern Baptist mission organizations today, right? The North American Mission Board sends pastors out all over uh, Canada and, and uh, the United States and, and even in Mexico. And they're planting these churches and they're joining and they're partnering along and they try to get other churches to, to, to be the ascending churches and supporting churches. And uh, we'll talk in uh, just a second about one of the opportunities that we have. But as we see the church was partnering and planting, what we can take from that is to look again for the work that God is doing, right? They heard what was going on uh, from afar and so they wanted to go and see and check it out for themselves. We have a picture of a, a church planter that, that we're beginning a new relationship with. This is Jonathan Howard and his family. And he'll be planting a church in Cincinnati. And they are in the very beginning stages of this. And uh, I know there's some cards out in the, the front foyer, and I think there's some out here by the, the info center as well. And we would just, at, at this point, definitely encourage you all to grab one of those cards and just be in prayer for the work that God's going to do through Jonathan and, and our opportunity to be a partnering church with them in Cincinnati. Uh, also, I, I thought about the other things that God's doing that, that we we. We get to hear those testimonies about. Uh, of course, Honduras has been going on for many, many years. And it's, it's that great 
uh, reoccurring relationship where we go back and, and get to partner and share with some of the same uh, pastors again and again and again, supporting them, coming alongside, giving them a shot in the arm uh, during that trip and helping them. This is uh, Pastor Yvonne, and I know they've been working with him, helping him to get transportation and help him to, to live in the city that he feels like God has called him to do. And so we're, we're looking for the work that God's doing, and when we find it, right, we, we want to do what that church did in Jerusalem. They sent people out to check it out to find out what was going on so they could come alongside. And so as we think about it, what are the gospel ministries? What are the, the, the opportunities that you have that excite your heart, right? The church was hearing all these good things, and so they're like, wow, we got to send Barnabas. we got to find out what's going on. we got to get in on this. This sounds exciting. What are the things that excite you? What are the opportunities that God places around you that you can be involved in. Maybe maybe it's not Cincinnati. Maybe it's not Honduras. Maybe it's one of the, the regular ministries we have here at our church. Maybe it's leading a Sunday school. Maybe it's uh, doing a, a discipleship group. There's so many opportunities that we have. Look for what God is doing. Look for where God is working. Find out how you can be a part of it. Uh, but they go and they test, right? In verse 23, they're sending Barnabas to test it, to check it out. He sees the grace of God, and so he's encouraged. Jesus tells us to be as wise as serpents and innocent as doves, right? We want to check out the work that God is doing. And so I'm excited. Pastor Jared, uh, this, this Jonathan in, in uh, Cincinnati, is someone that, that he's known from the past. And so it's exciting to me that this is a, this is a man whose character we know, that uh, we can come alongside, and, and we're excited how God is calling him and preparing to use him in the city of Cincinnati. But what does Barnabas do when he tests? it out and he checks it out and he sees God working in that, he encourages them, right? He exhorts them. He supports them. He comes alongside them. So what is the ministry? What is the mission that needs your encouragement, that needs your support? Not just that you can participate in, find to participate in, but even just to pray for and to support. What ministry mission needs you? What is God calling you to? Join in to the work. That's what we see in verse 25, that they joined in, brought Paul alongside, just getting involved, being there for a whole year, dedicating that time. Uh, I know that there's going to be opportunities coming up with Cincinnati. I know there's VBS coming up. We've got Windshape coming up. There's all kinds of opportunities always happening here at church that we can be a part of what God is doing. What ministry, what mission has God created you for? If you believe God has a plan and you believe that you are part of God's plan, then that means God has created you for a purpose, for a ministry, for a mission. Pray about it. Do uh, We have spiritual gifting assessment tests called the, the shape tool. There's ways we want to come alongside and help you find your sweet spot, as Pastor Jared likes to call it, a place to serve, a place where you can be edified in the way God uses you and you can bless others in serving him. What ministry mission has God created you for? We see the church was active. They were active in preaching, proclaiming the message. They were active in partnering, planting, finding ministries that they can be a part of, encourage, support, and join in on. But the church was also providing. So in verse 27, it says, In the days the prophets came down, uh, they always say came down from Jerusalem. I don't know if you, you noticed that. But that's because Jerusalem was built right up on a, up on a mountain. 
And so they didn't really think about north, south, east, west like, like we do. Uh, they thought more in, you know, up and down kind of ideas. And so whether they were going north to Antioch, right, or they were going south down to Egypt, they, they, they always were going down from Jerusalem. And they also talk about going up to Jerusalem. So it's not necessarily a direction on the map. It's just they're going up the hill, right, because Jerusalem's up. That's just a, that one's free. So you're welcome. Um, but they, they, they came down from Jerusalem, even though they went north. And, uh, but, but they're prophets, right? Now, these are not, sometimes we think about prophet and we, we kind of lock in on the idea of like somebody who can tell the future, right? That's, that's kind of the way we use that word today. But really, when you look at the Old Testament as a whole, and, and even here in the New Testament, they're talking about prophets. It's not just talking about uh, something like that, like they do, God uses this Agabus guy, crazy name. Uh, but uses this Agabus guy to, to, to give this prophecy of something that was going to happen. Uh, but really, we would probably call them like a preacher, a prophet. Someone that pro is proclaiming God's message to God's people would be a prophet. And so uh, we can kind of think about it in that way. But they, they come down from Jerus Jerusalem, going north to Antioch, and they join in with the work that God was doing. So there's this great famine that's going to come, right? So, so God uses this guy named Agabus, this prophet, to present this need that was coming soon. And it's interesting. Here's another free one. Uh, it says, this took place in the days of Claudius. Now that's kind of, you know, like an extra thing. Like, what, what's the point of that? Uh, I always like to point out when these, these little things come up, that the Bible is a real historical document. That the, these are recounting, we talked about descriptive before, right? These are real historical events. And so as, as Luke is writing this book of Acts, he's including, this, this is called eponymous dating. Eponymous just means date, like by the name, okay? And so naming the, the ruling emperor at the time was a way to fix which particular great famine that is being talked about. And so we can actually pinpoint through other historical documents the reign of Claudius, which would have been somewhere between 41 A.D. and 54 A.D. But we can get even closer than that because there's a Jewish writer who talked about a great famine that happened during the reign of Claudius, and it happened in 47 A.D. And so it just when, the, when these things come up, I, I always pause just to remind myself that, you know, these are not myths these are not fairy tales. These are not faraway stories that, that maybe somebody made up to, to try to teach a spiritual lesson. These are real historical events that God is working in and through just like he does today. And, and we can even get down to, to even within a year of when some of these events would happen. So that always encourages me about trusting uh, God's word, knowing that it is reliable and it's something that we can put our trust in. So, God placed a need before the people through the prophet Agabus. Uh, he placed it through them through this work of the Spirit. And how do they respond? Verse 29 says, So the disciples determined everyone according to his ability. Now that's one, according to his ability is one Greek word there. And it is specifically a word that is talking about financial ability, financial means. And so this relief that they're sending, it's a, it's a monetary donation. And of course we see later Paul and uh, and Barnabas are the ones that take it back to Jerusalem. So they're not taking, you know, carts and carts and wagons of bread and rice or whatever that they had, right? They're, they're bringing a monetary donation so that these uh, Jewish Christians in Ju Jerusalem, Judea, would be able to buy food when the famine hit. So they, they do so. They send it by the elders. And as they have been blessed by Barnabas and Paul coming 
right? These, these Christians, this, this church, this group of believers that's here in Antioch, they want to send back to Jerusalem, right? They want to send back to this gift of assistance and aid to them. So they return that blessing. So we see the church was providing, not just for the spiritual needs of people, right? Preaching, proclaiming, partnering, but also they were providing for the physical needs. The gospel calls us to the whole person, amen? The gospel calls us to love our neighbor as we love ourselves, right? And, And as we care for ourselves, we care for our own selves, we care for others as well. And so that means not just the spiritual, but also the physical. I love uh, being part of a Southern Baptist church because that means we get to be a part of what's called the cooperative program. Uh, we talk about this uh, usually during Annie Armstrong time and, and Lottie Moon missions. And as we're doing the Great Commission offering, we have that opportunity to talk about it as well. And so the cooperative program is, is what the, the Southern Baptist Conventions uses to, to pool the resources of churches and then use it for these missionary efforts. And I, I think I've got a little infographic. I don't think you can read a thing on there. But the big colors, the words are really small, uh, the big colors there, uh, so that is the budget for 2020-2021 cooperative program giving, and that big red area there, that is the giving to the International Mission Board, and so that goes uh, to those missionaries that are overseas serving on the field, uh, planting churches and training local people to plant churches there in countries all around the world. The, the next blue part there, that is our North American Mission Board. And so that is for church planners like Jonathan Howe uh, that we'll be partnering with that are uh, in North America. And so that's that portion. And then the little yellow portion there, that is our, uh, our people that represent our, us in, in Washington, D.C. That's the uh, ERLC, Ethics and Religious Liberties Commission. And then that last little green part there is uh, the people then who receive those things, manage those things, distribute them, uh, administrate all those entities. And so a cooperative program, I think, is the, the greatest missionary organization in the world. And it all comes down to churches doing what we see just like this here in Antioch, right? They, they, when they see the need, they participate together, then they use the ways that God has blessed them that they might be a blessing to others. And uh, also, I thought about disaster relief because it, it has that phrase in there, send relief. And I know that's something that our, our church has been a part of, and we have church members that still participate in the Mississippi Disaster Relief Group. Each state has their own disaster relief group. And so Southern Baptists, they go out with Uh, feeding stations and uh, mud out crews during floods and construction crews and uh, chainsaw crews. And anytime there's a hurricane, a tornado, earthquake, flooding, all these kinds of things, Southern Baptists respond because again, the gospel is to the whole person. And so many times when we meet that immediate need, that crisis, that hardship that they, that those people are facing, it opens wide that door for spiritual conversations, that we might share with them the reason Southern Baptists are willing to give money to send it all over the world, the reason that people with yellow hats on, I don't know if you've ever seen the disaster relief, but they all wear yellow hats, but they, they go out and they, they put on that yellow hat and they, they go cut down trees for people they don't know. Why, why are you doing this? What, why would you be here? Why are you helping us? And it's because Jesus helped me I want to help you, and I want to tell you how he can be a part of your life. The gospel calls us to the whole person. So what needs around you are you aware of? What are the things you know? What's maybe something your neighbor or a friend or even someone in your family? What what are the needs that you know about? 
How could meeting that need, or, or, help, or at least helping with that need, how could that open a door for you to have a spiritual conversation with someone that you know or meet? We also see as the church was providing that the gospel calls us to serve as we are called, as we are able. In 2 Corinthians chapter 8, uh, the beginning there of the chapter, it's, Paul relates this. He says, we want you to know, brothers, about the grace of God that's been given among the churches of Macedonia. For in a severe test of affliction, their abundance of joy and their extreme poverty have overflowed in a wealth of generosity on their part. For they gave according to their means, as I can testify, and beyond their means of their own accord, begging us earnestly for the favor of taking part in the relief of the saints. And this, not as we expected, but as they gave themselves first to the Lord and then by the will of God to us. God calls us to serve not above and beyond our ability and our means, but God, and again, he has a plan and a purpose for each of us. He has created us in such a way. He has blessed us with the, the things that we have, and God wants us to use it for his glory. What has God given you stewardship of that you can use for his glory? Now, in this passage, it's specifically talking about money. But God has blessed us with so many other things. Our time is a valuable thing. And we choose every day how to invest it. There's only 168 hours in a week, right? Sometimes it feels like there's less. I know. This, as the, uh, VBS is coming up this next week. I, I wish there were more hours, but there's not. I'm, I hope I get all 168 in there. Uh, but... You know, we only have so much time to invest, just like we only have so much money to invest. God's given us also talents, abilities, skills that we can share with others. There's so many ways that we can provide, we can help, we can partner with people to give that, to show that love for those physical needs that they have, but also provide those ways that we can have spiritual conversations. The church was active. Amen? Can you see that? The church was active in preaching. They were active in partnering and planting new churches. They were active in providing for the needs of those around them. They're fulfilling 1.8, right? They're fulfilling Acts 1.8, what Jesus said. God is at work in them because they are at work doing those things God has called them to do. God is blessing their obedience. I have a little uh, video here that they're going to throw up. And, and, and I don't know if you, you know much about marching band. Uh, marching band is, is tough. Uh, it's, it's, as, it's as grueling as, as any sport you can play. They work hard. They practice hard. And when they all come together, can, can you... This is ridiculous, right? Like, it's amazing how they pulled that off, right? They can't see what's going on. They're playing instruments. It's like, and, but for them to put in that work, that effort, to come together in concert that way, not only to make beautiful music, but also be able to do something cool like that, right? It shows there's so much more that we can do together. God doesn't call us to be Lone Ranger Christians, Amen. God hasn't given uh, the mission of the gospel just to you, and you're the only one, and you've got to save the whole world, right? God calls us together. God gathers us together in these, these things, these places, these fellowships that we call church, right? And God has a purpose and a plan, not just for each of us individually, but for each of us working together. The saying is what? Teamwork makes the dream work, right? We can do cool stuff even just like a marching band, right? God can do so much more through us when we serve as we've been called, when we serve together. God worked through 
the people being faithful and obedient. And our church has the same charge to preach, to plant, to partner, to provide. We have that same charge. Our circumstances are different, right? We're not in Antioch, we're in Olive Branch. But God calls us to those same things. And so it, it's always something we can be evaluating. How is our church doing with preaching? And not just standing on the stage here again, but, but in that, that going forth, that proclaiming of the message of the gospel. How are we doing? Individually, how are we doing? But also together, how are we doing? I, I know there was a, a, a great thing, and I, I believe they're going to pick it up again here as we get closer to the fall again. But it, I think it was called Praying for Our Neighbors. Is that right? Praying for Our Neighbors. And it went out to houses just right here, right here in this immediate vicinity, walking distance from the church, knocked on doors and asked if there was something they could be prayed for about, if there was a need that they knew about in their neighborhood that maybe the church could help with. And people literally opened their doors, right? Believe it or not. I don't know if you think people still open their doors when somebody knocks, but they really do. They literally opened their doors, and figuratively, they opened their door as well to people sharing the good news of Jesus with them. And I know a lot of people participated in that and, I, and just heard so many uh, wonderful stories of how God blessed them and gave them chances to share the good news with others. How are we doing with our preaching? How are we doing with partnering and planning? You've heard about Cincinnati. You've, you know about Honduras, I hope, and, and the work that's been done here for many years in this church. Uh, but how are we doing coming alongside those things? What is there more that we could do? Are there different ways that we could help and they could serve uh, those ministries that God has brought before us? We've seen the work God's doing, we've tested it, checked it out, and now we want to know how we can join up. How are we doing? How are we doing as a church with providing? Not just in, in financial ways, but how are we doing serving in the different ministries in our church, serving in our community? Uh, there's things like the food pantry, you know, these other opportunities that we have that we can serve in our community to provide, to meet the needs of the people around us and prayerfully open the door for God to work in a spiritual way as well. But we can't just think about what the church is doing, like, well, that church, they need to get, get busy, right? That church ain't doing much. What are we doing? How are we preaching, partnering, planning, providing? Our circle. Who are the people in your circle? Who has God put you as a person of influence near? Your family, your friends, your coworkers, your neighbors. Who are those people that he has created you, gifted you, equipped you, and given you the message of the gospel that you might share with those people in your circle? Who is it? Who is the one that you would sh share with? And who are those people outside of your circle? Are you looking? Are you watching? Are you expecting God to work? Could you share the gospel with the guy at the gas station? Taking, taking your credit card for that candy bar that you bought. Could you share the gospel with him? Would God have you do that? Are we watching for those things? How can we be a part of Acts 1-8 continuing to be fulfilled through our church today in 2021 and Olive Branch? How are we helping the gospel to go to the ends of the earth? And how are we giving with what we've been given? God has blessed us in so many ways. Amen? God continues to bless us. We're so fortunate to be born in America. We could have been born anywhere in the world, but we were born here. And God has blessed us in extraordinary ways. And I believe God has extraordinary work, therefore, for us to do as well. We are the missionaries that God has placed in this mission field. We talk about IMB missionaries, we talk about Honduras, and we talk about uh, Cincinnati, but guess who the missionaries are that God has put in this place? It's us. 
It's we are God's missionaries here in this city. And we want to be a church that loves God, loves people, and lives like we are sent out on that mission. So the church was active. We want our church to be active too in preaching, in partnering and planting new churches, and also in providing for the needs of those around us. And I hope I've given you some things to think about and reflect on, things that God would challenge you through this passage that maybe you need to step up and be more obedient, be more faithful, like Barnabas found the church at Antioch in your Christian walk. But most importantly, I want to make sure that everybody here knows that Jesus is the one who came, who died for them, who made all of this possible. Everything we're talking about comes back to that gospel message. And even though none of us are perfect, even though all of us are weak, all of us fail, there's plenty of times I can share where I had an opportunity to share the gospel, but I didn't do it. I let something get in the way. I, I fail. I fall. I stumble. And, and I know you can relate to having those, those places in your life that just you're not quite there yet. You know, you know it, and you're, you're just working on them, and, and you need God's help for that. But God wants to use us. God wants to save us. And so he sent Jesus. Jesus was born of a virgin. He lived a perfect life, never sinned. God's son, fully divine, but yet fully man, so that he could lay down that perfect life as an offering, as a payment for the penalty of sin. The Bible says the wages of sin is death, but the gift that God gave us is eternal life through Jesus Christ, our Lord. And that idea of Lord is that we follow him, we obey him, we make him our boss, our king, our master. And he calls us to be faithful and he calls us to share. But first, he calls us to surrender. And so in a moment, we're going to have uh, the, the band come. They, they can go ahead and, and find their spots if they like. We're going to have a moment of invitation. And so it's twofold. For, for you, if God's speaking to your heart right now and, and you know that you have not yet asked Jesus because of his payment on the cross, to forgive your sin, to, to wipe away those consequences so that you can be free of them, so you can be forgiven of them. This is an opportunity for you to come and pray with, with me, for pray with one of our pastors uh, to, to know how you can have Jesus as Lord of your life. But it's also a time to think and to pray. If I have called Jesus my Lord and Savior, how am I now being obedient and faithful to him? So I'm going to pray in just a moment as the band plays. And as we sing this song, do what the Lord would have you do this morning. Let's pray. God, we thank you. We thank you for your word and the challenges that we find in it. God, I, I know I fall short. I know that I have many things to work on. There's these things in my life. But God, I thank you. I thank you for the gift of salvation. God, I pray if there's anybody in the sound of my voice that does not know you, that has not asked you to forgive, to wipe away, to wash them clean of all their wrongdoing. God, I just pray through the Holy Spirit, you might work in their heart now. And God, I pray that that work of the Holy Spirit would continue, grow us, move us, change us, help us to follow the example that we see in your word. Help us, God, to have our eyes open to see you at work. We thank you to know that you're alive and active even still today. God, move us forward in your mission. May we be a church that's active. We pray it in Jesus' name.